Hi folks, it's Todd Dills, your host for the final 2021 entry in the Overdrive Radio podcast series. As we've done over the past few years, we're going to count down to 2022, the run back through our most listened to episodes of the year. It always seems to work out to a reality rules and sometimes bites window on what truck owners were most concerned about and, as a rule, interested in over the course of any given year. We're going to hear about the hours of service, particularly in the context of the COVID-19 emergency declaration and its hours waiver, now in place in some form for almost two years. We'll hear about custom project rigs and restorations, about California's AB5 contractor law, now headed to the Supreme Court, about COVID and insourcing and cooking in cab and on the road as we count down from 10 to 1. First though, let's have a bit of a lightning round of numbers 11 through 17, all very close to each other by the stats counter I've been looking at. I've grouped 1 through 17 in reverse chronological order in a playlist you can find in the post that houses this podcast for New Year's Eve 2021 too. Find it via overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. It's also at our SoundCloud profile. That's soundcloud.com slash overdrive radio. Okay, here we go. Uh, Ten years ago, if you had an adverse audit or an adverse roadside inspection, 11, 12 years ago, uh, you could uh, throw it in a trash can, no harm, no foul, until one day they came knocking. In fact, I really go way back to when I was driving. I used to get rung up at the scales in Oak Grove, Missouri, every time I went through there. And there was a gal there, this is how old I'm dating myself, there was a gal in there that ran the scale and she had flowers hanging around the outside of that scale house. And every time she'd ring me up with something and every time I was grinding the gears to get back on the highway, I'd take that piece of paper and I'd toss it right outside the window. Cause it never went anywhere. And now just look how things have changed. You know, we know the next morning, uh, if you use the compass portal, which is different than the SMS scorecard, if you use the compass portal, you can see that roadside inspection the next day if the inspector uploaded before he went off duty. Okay, so that's how much things have really changed. company in Terre Haute, Indiana. And then another summer I drove a log truck. So can you imagine a young kid driving a log truck, and that actually was uh, interstate, uh, because back then you could, uh, if you uh, if it was a private company hauling your own products, which would which logging was, uh, they were they were uh, doing mining or they were doing uh, logging in Illinois and and uh, hauling it to sawmills in Indiana, and so I was truck driver doing that one summer. Right, and you were, and this was you were not 21 at this point. You were, I mean, this was. Eight, you were how old, 18? 18 and 19. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, me being behind the wheel of a big truck, I'm sure it was scary for some people back then, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, for, um, but there are a bunch of good young people who are capable and have got the mental capacity and the passion to do yeah, it. And those and, folks made it very clear, we need to tell our story. So they would drop what they were doing. We knew they were coming off the road, you know, from their own business to make their voices heard in Sacramento. And I would I would characterize it as probably 95% of the voices at uh, legislative hearings and individuals testifying, probably 95% of those individuals were 
from trucking were the independent owner operators. And then you'd have some Uber and Lyft drivers here and there. You'd have some emergency room doctors, believe it or not, who were yeah. saying we, we're independent contractors. We want to continue doing it. But clearly throughout the year of 2019, the voices of those independent owner operators were front and center. Hey, y'all. My name's Mike Sheffield. I'm going to play you a song I wrote in this truck called Hammer Down Again. I hope you like it. I've been a line hauler and a high baller just in case that old dollar. I've been a door swinger and a bell ranger since I came out of the holler. Up and down and around and round, Lord, I don't know where it begins. It just hammer down westbound, turn around eastbound, hammer down again. Yeah, hammer down westbound, turn around eastbound, hammer down again. Like a little plane freight train, shifting in the high range, keeping it in the wind. I might slow it down one day, but I don't know when. It just hammer down westbound. On a bright Hawaiian Christmas day That's the island greeting that we sing to you From the land where palm trees sway Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright Sun to shine by day and all the stars at night Alakaliki Maka is Hawaii's way To say Merry Christmas to you Merry Christmas. Walking along beneath the lights of that merry Hawaii, me and Mary making our way into the night. Cries from the carnival rides, the pinball bells and the ski bowl slides, watching that summer sun fall out of sight. So warm wind coming in off of the ocean, making its way past hotel walls into streets. Were you always on uh, like a percentage kind of structure at Schneider? I know in the past they were offering like some some choice. Uh, people would flip back and forth depending on what they were reading in the market. Uh, in in when I first started with Schneider, they had a mileage instead of percentage um, thing, but they got away from that and went to straight percentage. Um, and now they, as far as other people that I know that work for them, they also have some that are just all in rate, but. That isn't, I don't have exactly first-hand knowledge of that because right, I'm, right. I'm no longer employed there anymore. But yeah. I do think that, um, especially with with the way the, the rates are in, in the markets and stuff like that, that, um, you know, companies like Schneider have to find a way to uh, get a little bit more money. in the uh, It was a fairly so. regular run for, for me to go down Mont Eagle on the old road, then through Chattanooga down into Georgia, and then we come back the same way. And uh, remind me what you were driving that uh, that day in, in my What was that truck like? Oh, it was a excuse me, a GMC Astro 95. 
I can tell you the color. It was blue. <laughs> but I don't rem- I don't remember the engine. It was more than likely a Cummins uh, yeah. 10-speed. I get started out of that 76 that was at the top of the top of the, the the mountain. I don't know if it's still there or not, to be honest with you. But anyway, I get going, and I just hadn't got very far. And I think I'm in second or third gear of a 10-speed. All of a sudden, I hit vibration in the truck and a thumping, a really terrible thumping, like, you know, somebody's sledgehammering my truck. And then it got super quiet. And I had no brakes because the whole time, I, you know, oh, what happened here? And fear. I don't, I don't like that kind of fear, <laughs> you know. What happened? So I realized I had no brakes, so I grabbed the, the mic on the CB. Thank God everybody had one. And... uh told him that I'm in a southbound runaway truck, you know, and I got no brakes. Um, and maybe that's why the one owner operator is successful, more right. successful, because they know 100% unequivocally what's going on, who they work for, what they're doing, where they've been. First Guard you know, provides commercial truck insurance to leased owner operators done right. As we've done for more than 80 years, we provide physical damage and non-trucking. Many companies make you pay up to six months of insurance premiums up front, but not First Guard. We bill monthly, so you get quality insurance without needing to pay a lot of cash up front. Go to firstguard.com. That's one stguard.com. First Guard. We speak trucker. Let's talk. Here's Martin Herman, owner-operator, talking about the Project 1980 Kenworth he was involved in with the owner of the Dustbusters Company out of Evanston, Wyoming. One of two principal stories told in the number 10 Most Listened to Overdrive Radio edition of 2021. Uh, actually, the very first truck he ever bought, 1980 Kenworth, uh, W900A. It was a short hood when we pulled it in the shop, and uh, it had a Kenworth 8-bag rear suspension and the gears in the rear end it would only run about 55 or 60 mile an hour so the first thing we done was strip it from the cab back down to bare frame rails took all the cross members out welded all the holes shut sanded them all down repainted the frame and then we rolled uh it's actually a volvo corporate rear four bag air suspension under it that's got four 342 rear end gear ratio so they're a lot faster we could get up the highway speeds with them and redrilled all the holes and then one thing led to another and we decided to put a b model cat 3406 in it instead of a 400 cummins and with that we done a 13 speed double over transmission this thing knows has no clue what speed limit means the rest of that podcast was the Overdrive Radio re-air of episode 4 in our 2020 collaboration with PRX's Radiotopia on the Over the Road podcast, hosted by our own long-haul Paul Marhofer. Here's how Marhofer and company set up the funny and moving caper of source that was titled, quite succinctly, Three Stops in Kentucky. Back probably 10 or 11 years ago, we did a survey on the trucks that go up and down this road. So we know now that we're doing at least 10 to 12,000 trucks a day. So we advertise to let all the new people out here know we're here. 
take a right or west of the interstate, you'll see a bunch of trucks here. We advertise our fuel price, our food specials. Oh, honey, we've got a full menu and everything's good here. If you just want to take a break, you know, stop in, see us. I was one of those new people once, hauling down I-75 through Kentucky for the first time. This was the late 80s, and it's difficult to understate the hunger for the human voice among your average truck driver back then. I mean, you had your CB radio, whatever AM FM stations you could pick up, maybe a few verbal jabs from the forklift driver 300 miles back, and that was about it. Wait staff at these Kentucky truck stops understood that hunger all too well. Free coffee for all fuel and drivers. Cigarettes starting as low as $29.99 a carton and up. They were like the sirens of the CB. There was something about the way they called you honey that just drew the Yankee boys in like flies. Honey, they're good, I promise. Not to mention that one special that's always on the menu. And drivers, don't forget, we also the homemade nanner nanner pudding. The nanner nanner pudding. Yum, yum, yum. Come and get you some. It's like a refrain at these places all along this stretch of I-75. So today on the show, we're going to settle once and for all the question of who started this whole nanner nanner pudding thing. Mm-hmm. I'm taking you on a tour of my favorite Kentucky truck stops. I'm talking about those little mom and pop operations that are still holding out against the big chains. The kind of places that used to have phones at each table and might not even have gas pumps, just diesel. We're going to hit up three of these stops, working our way south from exit 76 to exit 62, and finally, exit 49. So sit tight. I'm Long Haul Paul. And from PRX's Radiotopia and Overdrive magazine, this is Over the Road. As noted, catch this and all the podcasts excerpted here in our 2021 Review playlist in the post that houses this podcast at overdriveonline.com or via our SoundCloud profile. Okay, on to number nine. A round of interviews conducted by Overdrive News Editor Matt Cole at the East Coast Truckers Jamboree at Kinley 95. Among the first at bat for the in-person return of the truck sales season this year. Among the business and lifestyle topics discussed was a question asked of owner-operators in the custom truck competition there. Just what the 2020 trucking experience have been like for each. Here's owner-operator Daniel Snow out of Arkansas, trucking with his authority with his wife and co-operator Phyllis, urging vigilance on COVID even as case numbers plummeted this spring. Fortunately, 4-H stayed moving. Uh, after the first month or two, uh, when the freight started picking back up, you know, so I don't feel like as guy, the ones of us driving a truck probably suffered quite as much financially as some other ones. But uh, as far as the stress of trying to be safe and not get it, not to take it home to anybody, not to, uh, Phyllis had a heart attack in February, so that made her very susceptible. So we did have to stay home about, uh, probably about five weeks. 
and uh, so you know that part hurt us financially but it couldn't be helped and I mean we'd have been home three weeks anyway but I think the stress of it of just trying to be so safe and uh, our biggest point was not spreading it to other people because uh, we did actually both wind up getting COVID and uh, Phyllis bounced back from it actually quite a bit quicker than I did uh, so it it was a tough time I think this country needs to stay focused on getting past it I know over the years history should tell us that when you relax on something it'll come back and bite you if you're not ready to relax so I, I do believe and, and Phyllis does believe both of us believe that you know the vaccine though it may not be perfect is still about at least from what our doctor tells us if you're over 50. Now under 50 uh, there is there is other data but over 50 especially with the underlying heart issues like both of us have had and uh, it's it, it it's just something that needs to remain vigilant so if we do that i believe we'll get it behind us. it's just like all the you know we give our kids vaccines for reasons and that's to keep the measles and the mumps and you know whatever else we take they take them for i forgot now thank god our kids are grown <laughs> but you know we just don't need to let our guard down number eight in our countdown was a detailed discussion with andrea marks of the trucker nation driver advocacy group about changes to the covid 19 emergency declarations hours of service waiver which came down in september with changes while loads of similar commodities were still exempted from maximum drive time regs and still are to this day They've been, and they've been exempted with some other changes here and there since March of 2020. September changes included new requirements to log hours spent hauling under the waiver and to report uses to FMCSA for study, yielding fears of self-incrimination among those whose confidence in law enforcement is, shall we say, less than complete. Mark sympathized and said it was almost as if the changes were designed to limit the COVID-19 hours of service waiver's use. Bigger picture, as she also notes in what follows from our late summer conversation, she viewed the months since the waiver was put in place to combat pandemic-inspired shortages as perhaps the biggest hours flexibility experiment in history. If only there was data to show the safety performance of carriers running without those hours of service limits. Over the past 19 months, we've been generating it, but we've been too stupid to be gathering it in a meaningful way. And they know that. They know that. They know that that the validity of hours of service is going to somehow be called into question. And if we actually get our poop in a group and figure out a way to to get this data pulled together in a meaningful way, that we might actually have something here. And this leash of hours of service that they think equals safety will really, really be called into question. So they're starting what they think um, are the steps to control that narrative. And this reporting requirement is, is just that. They know that people are not going to go in and report because people are going to be scared to do it because they think that that's going to um, 
increase their likelihood of getting an audit or that's going to somehow or maybe they were using it and they knew they weren't supposed to be or they didn't have the documentation but they didn't get caught or something like that um so they're not going to go in and report and what that's going to do is that's not going to generate data and when this conversation comes up fmcsa is going to say well we we required people go in and report and there was just such a small subset of the industry that reported their reliance on the, the declaration that your claim that hours of service, you know, not using any sort of hours of service is is invalid or had a positive or negative impact on safety is, well, that, that argument's not valid at all because nobody used it. I think this is a real opportunity for the the OIDAs and the NASICs and the, you know, the 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 trucker nations and the, you know, the, all the people, I don't, I don't even know all of them. I just can't think of them off the top of my head, but you know, this is a real opportunity to get folks together and pool resources because getting unbiased non-government data together and in a meaningful format in a way that can show what the last 19 months has done for safety in either a neutral or a neutral positive way, it it will literally invalidate uh, uh, hours of service as it relates to safety. It, it absolutely will. And I think we're at a really interesting time of year right now because you've got you know you've got PhD candidates that are looking for looking for their topics, right. and they're looking for something do their you know their research on and we're just at a really interesting time and if we could get somebody to pick this up man i i think if we pass this up we're passing up one of the biggest opportunities that the trucking industry's ever had and i'm one person and i don't know where to start but man i'm a big dreamer and i've got really big ideas here but i i, I can't do it alone and i don't know where to start you know, we, we we also have a young secretary and Secretary Buttigieg might be somebody who wants to leave a legacy. You know, he's of a different generation than, than most secretaries. Yeah. And if he's somebody who wants to leave a legacy, that's somebody, we, we got something you could leave a legacy on. You want to you want to devalue hours of service and really focus on the root of the problem, and that's well-trained drivers, safe drivers. Let's talk, buddy. Let's talk because that's where the real problem's at. Marks and Trucker Nation would go on to team up with a compliance consultant uh, in DNK Truck Compliance. Their new effort is underway to gather data independently of FMCSA from carriers and individual drivers who have operated under the COVID waiver the past year and a half and more. Search, quote, poking at hours of service at overdriveonline.com to find more about the effort. Number seven in the countdown, without further ado, a report from the Truckload Carriers Association's Safety and Security Conference in June in St. Louis, which featured a long talk with professional operators Clark Reed and Henry Albert about the rise of advanced driver assist systems. Think lane departure warning, active emergency braking assists, lane keeping, and more. And just how to operate with those systems to maximize efficiency and safety. 
Here's Albert, Overdrive's Trucker of the Year in 2007, offering a perspective on how to fundamentally think about assist systems. ABS. When you study ABS and crash rates of cars and trucks, when they first introduced ABS, the crash rate dropped. They got all these stability control. I've got to do winter testing in the trucks and all that. What these trucks can do is, and cars, is amazing with all these technological features. The problem is with human nature, we drive up to that new limit. If we still drove these trucks like we were driving a 1968 truck on bias fly tires with road brakes and no stability control, no ABS, you would never crash. Nobody in here remembers that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, the real key is to not, and I did a Bob on this once, is to not use your safety system. You know, don't drive up to that new limit. That's human nature though, especially when you're paid by the mile, to drive up to that new limit. I always say it's good that most drivers don't know what these trucks are really capable of when you do winter tests, because what they can do is amazing. And I'm an old race car driver, so I didn't need any of these systems. And they started shutting one system off at a time and I kept it more codes. So, but to keep them as an assist, but to keep them in the background, keep the driver driving like you would have driven if you did not have any of the systems. That particular podcast also featured a brief interview with W. Tim Miller about a 1980s vintage Peterbilt 359 he showed at Walcott, Iowa, at the Walcott Truckers Jamboree in early July. Miller farms around 300 acres nearby and uses the rig hauling mostly his own product anymore. Much like the first owner-operators early in the last century when truck technology began to advance quickly. Also farm. Okay. And oh, it keeps you busy. Sure. Is, is farming um, as much of a, as big of a part of what you do as trucking or about equal? Or it's about equal. Yeah. You know, hauling your own grain to market or whatever. And sure. And, and, and still doing that to this day? Like, yeah, yep. In large part? Yeah. I live in Owine, Iowa, about oh, 150 miles northwest of here. Okay. And this is the 30th year for me coming down here, your show. Okay. So, got to keep up the tra- tradition. Yeah. Tell me about the truck. That's 1982, 359, conventional Peterbilt. Okay. 400 big cam. Cummins with a 15 over transmission. Is that the original engine and everything in it? Yeah. Okay. I I don't know if it's been overhauled before, but right. I haven't touched it. I've had it for about 15 years. I found it in a town west of my place, about oh, 30 miles. Okay. A guy had it for sale, and I picked it up. He yeah, he used to uh, run it for Target Distribution Center. Okay. And just got tired of it, and so I, I bought it and repainted it, and now I drive it. It's it's got the old Corvette dash. Yeah, yeah. I haven't really changed anything yet. Yeah. Search W Tim Miller at OverdriveOnline.com too for a video treatment of that interview, featuring plenty of views of the classic 359. On to number six in the countdown which features diesel emissions maintenance and diagnostics advice from two shop owners to their operator customers. One of those owners was a quite familiar voice all around trucking in Pittsburgh Power's Bruce Mallinson, 
The device both technical and quite simple for dealing with shop personnel on diagnosis. We find that sometimes people will come in and they're talking to you at the parts counter and they'll have a whole list of things in their head and now they get the mental block. That's why we ask people to write it down. And a lot of times whenever you're working on the truck, they'll come out of the driver's lounge and they'll say, oh, by the way, my truck was doing this or could you check this? Oh, could you put this gauge on or do this or put a new torsional damper and balancer on? It's, It's nice when they have a note and have it written down. Very few do. The other panelist was Jeff Gray, second generation owner of Gray's Garage in Pontiac, Illinois. Here's Overdrive Extra contributor Gary Bucks setting up the first part of the conversation around diagnosis, or misdiagnosis as it were, of emissions issues. We're getting what we need when we go to a shop. Jeff, think about this question I asked you years ago. I said, what's the biggest maintenance mistake people make? I don't know if you remember what you told me, well, I would say most likely uh, what I was telling you was this is when emissions first came out and there were so many uh, trucks that were programmed with a five minute idle shutdown on them that first off, the, the dealers were not telling the drivers that you need to turn the key on and wait. You should wait close to 10 seconds before you go to start it, because if you have an intake throttle valve, EGR valve. Uh, variable geometry turbo, all of those things calibrate themselves when you turn the key on. If you do what I call a quick start and you just turn the key on and start like you're starting your car, you're going to get all kinds of phantom codes because those components, if they only went 25% of the way, they think that's 100%. And until that key is cycled off, it is going to continue to read wrong. There again, if you have an idle shutdown on it and you've exceeded the five minute or 10 minute shutdown, some of the older ones were able to be started right back up again. They lose that calibration when the idle shutdown occurs. So you have to, if you have one of those, make sure you turn the key off, wait 10 seconds, turn the key back on, wait 10 seconds, and then start it. So those were the, some of the biggest ones. Um, but even more than that, good owner operators need to know their vehicle. They need to know every sound that that truck makes they need to know what it feels like. They need to watch their gauges. They need to know, you know, their boost. What, where does it normally run when, uh, when they're running down the road under a load? You know, what kind of temperature does it run? You know, and any other gauges that you have, know them, know the sounds. That way, when something does start to happen, what sounds different or what feels different? And then don't be afraid to tell Whoever is it's going to work on it, don't be afraid to give them all the information that it's about. It. I would much rather have the driver that was operating the vehicle come in so I can talk to them myself rather than have their boss call and say, well, he's got a vibration or it's low on power. There's a lot of different things that can cause that. And if you talk to the operator, you can get a whole lot more information than just, you know, it's short on power. Just a small sliver there, as it were an hour-long discussion that held within a wealth of information from two diesel pros. Find it at the website, overdriveonline.com, search diesel emissions maintenance. Number five in the countdown sounded something of a clarion call to leased owner-operators who value their independence. From ATBS President Todd Amon. 
He was discussing California's AB5 law and its ABC contractor tests, spelling doom for traditional lease arrangements. Very few among ATBS owner-operator clientele in surveying expressed any desire to become a company driver, among ways to potentially preserve those lease arrangements in some form if the law comes into play. Here's what Eamon advised that majority of owner-operators. Again, I'm not here to be political. I'm just here to say that it's good for you to stay up to date, read everything that you can and understand this. If you have a chance to vote, if you have a chance to speak to your congressperson and you like being an independent contractor, um, make it known that you do this for a reason. You chose to be your own business person and boss. You don't wanna be forced to become a company driver. Um, that's what you told us. As regular readers will know, the AB5 legal challenge is currently under consideration for review at the U.S. Supreme Court, with potential results likely coming in the new year. That was a small part, though, of Todd Amon's detailed distillation of benchmarking data early on in 2021, data computed for averages and trends from among the thousands of ATBS owner-op clients. Amon charted business performance for year 2020, offering some predictions for 2021 as well, along with this characterization of the early 2021 freight and rates environment and just what owners should be focused on. Again, this is a time where a lot of drivers are questioning what they're doing because they hear their buddy in the truck stop making a ton of money, getting $4 per mile loads and making $100,000 a year doing this and that. And it causes a question about, should I think about changing what I'm doing? And I'm not here to tell you one way or the other. You're the business person that needs to make that decision. One thing I will tell you is at ATBS, you know, we're good at running numbers. And so get all your business consultant and we can do a budget with you. We call it a profit plan. We can go through the numbers and say, I'm going to switch from doing this to that. I need a new truck. Things are good. I want to buy a new truck. Let's see what that does to my profit plan. You know, get all of us and have us think through that with you. The one thing I will tell you is when you change what you're doing, it costs you money. You may not realize it, but um, it costs money. You've got to learn a new segment of the business. You've got to learn where the hot, you know, freight markets are, where the drop yards are, all that kind of stuff. And so it's not something you should just do on a whim. Um, give it strong consideration because at the end of the day, you know, we calculated it costs you about $12,000 to make that change. If I can go make another dollars $50,000, $100,000, hey, maybe it's worth doing that. But again, that doesn't last forever. So um, I guess one thing that really bothers me in our industry is there's a lot of turnover and it costs a lot of money for the drivers, the companies, the whole industry, billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars. And my belief is that if I'm a good driver and a smart driver and I'm running my own business and I'm in a good market, I can maximize my net income by doing what I know best. And I can save a lot of money on cost by managing my business. I can maximize my revenue by being available to run. And so I'm better off focusing on my business rather than worrying about who's making an extra penny per mile than me. Um, focus on your own business and enough preaching. I just kind of want to give you my 23 years of experience of watching guys and gals go broke. And it's usually those ones that are never happy and they're always looking for the next shiny penny and trying to chase, you know, something else. Okay, on to number four, which featured in the fall, the voice of an owner operator many regular listeners likely recognized, that of Debbie Desiderato, now principally out of Virginia and sometimes Long Island, New York. She's had quite a year and a half or so, moving to sell her long running and quite recognizable Kenworth in 2020 and a turn back to hotshot car hauling for a time. That wouldn't last long before she capitalized on opportunity hauling in support of logging operations around her Virginia home base with the purchase of a used 2017 Western Star 4900 EX. 
Less than a year after purchasing the rig, she was the recipient of a custom interior renovation by a secret celebrity renovation series star, Jason Cameron. That was courtesy of the Transfix Digital Brokerage Company after Desiderato won the Transfix My Rig sweepstakes, part of the company's efforts to give back during National Truck Driver Appreciation Week. It was a pretty spectacular upgrade, not only for a feature wall at the back of the sleeper with plenty of wow factor in it. In the podcast conversation between Overdrive news editor Matt Cole and owner-operator Desiderato, she made clear the biggest value probably came from the more purely functional additions that come with a real bottom-line impact for the business. Here she is talking about the two asks that she made of Jason Cameron to begin the whole process, welcomed since her purchase of the truck used in March this year. And it was not well designed like most trucks on the inside, um, unless they have custom sleepers on them. There's a lot of, you know, space that goes, that's not utilized like up high and a lot of wasted space, you know. And I knew that it could be improved. And I watched a couple of episodes of Secret Celebrity Renovations and to see what you know what it was about and and who jason is and um you know after i watched a couple of episodes i was kind of relieved that i felt like it was in good hands and uh, he asked me a few things like what were important to me and and uh, one of them was a place to hang my guitar which had always laid on my bed and i can't tell you how many times it fell off <laughs> and um and the other thing was, you know, my my refrigerator had a really tiny uh, freezer in it, about that big, pretty much useless. And right. that was really important to me because, <clears throat> especially since the pandemic began, it's uh, it's gotten really difficult to find decent food on the road now. And uh, some of the truck stops that had 24-hour restaurants, they either closed completely and put fast food options in there or they operate now on limited hours and especially since nobody seems to want to work anymore so um and i often drive at night so i might be looking to have lunch at 2 a.m well you know i got a choice of burger king or popeyes you know i mean that's killing us so i think it's really important to have a decent sized freezer and, uh, you know, at least a microwave in your truck. Uh, some people, you know, carry a whole lot more than that. They, you know, they can fry up a steak or carry a, a little barbecue with them and uh, cook on the catwalk on the back of their truck, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that the fridge freezer was very important to me. So I knew he was going to do something with those two. And the rest, I really had no idea what he was going to do. Number three in the countdown is another of our re-airs of the episodes in the Over the Road series from 2020. This one had a long, discursive look at the history of trucking, partly through the voice of recently former household goods hauler Finn Murphy, also a student of trucking history. The episode, called A Brief History of Trucking in America, charts the rise of the owner-operator after exemption of ag products from 1930s trucking price regulation and subsequent 1980s deregulation creating the trucking business of today. Here's Long Haul Paul setting up Finn's narration of that early part of the history with detail on his long experience as a moving operation for well-heeled clientele. 
Very few truckers out there can do what Finn does. You have to be strong, but also smart and able to mix with the well-heeled clientele. Me, I suppose I wound up on a lower road, pulling reefers, loads of lettuce, pork loins, watermelons, food, that is. My loads took me to the dirty sides of towns, to the old warehouses, to the produce and the meat markets. I was awake when everyone else was asleep with a lucky strike in my hand. <sighs> Seeing what the old peak could really do in western Kansas and all of it coming back to food out there with the cow trucks, the chicken haulers, the hopper bottoms laden with grain, rolling through the nameless fields of the great alone. It all starts about food. That's what Finn was starting to explain at the top. So let's hear him out. In the late 19-teens, the food cost for an American household was a significant portion of their annual income. I've seen numbers all over the place, but 40 to 50%, maybe sometimes even higher. So food costs are rising, and you have this nascent trucking industry, and it made it easier for small farmers to get their goods to market. The tremendous crowds which you see gathered outside the stock exchange. So let's just dial it to about 1933. I, Franklin FDR is elected president, and remember now, so we've got a very depressed farm economy, catastrophically depressed now. And bewildered, they joined the great army of the highway. And so you had way more trucking and truck capacity than the economy needed at that time, 1933, 34, 35. So the trucking companies were all cutting each other's throats, underbidding freight rates. So we've got this three-headed monster. We have high food prices, we have uh, trucking companies going out of business, and then we have this farm catastrophe all happening at the same time. In every dark hour of our national life... The Roosevelt administration came up with a plan. They regulated the interstate trucking industry. In these critical days. The Motor Carrier Act of 1935 which is, you know, all of this sounds kind of mundane. And when, when you, you know, if you ever talk to any trucker, you, almost everybody's going to know what the Motor Carrier Act of 1935 is, even if they, you know, even if they have trouble reading or never finished high school. We know about the Motor Carrier Act of 1935. What it did is it regulated all aspects of interstate trucking. It set the freight rates for every single commodity. It was a federal offense to charge less than that. And then it exempted agricultural products because the only place to square that Gordian knot of higher farm incomes with cheaper food is to lower the transportation costs. So they left farm products out of the Motor Carrier Act. That means starting... And so the number two most listened to podcast of 2021, perhaps it's no surprise, I'd say is probably the most dramatic of the podcasts we've ever produced. Yeah, ever. It started with owner-operator Glenn Keller's 911 call from Gastonia, North Carolina. April 21st, 2021. 13 hours, 39 minutes, 51 seconds. 
Jackson County 911. What is the address of your emergency? Ma'am, I'm, I'm at the intersection of 321. I'm oh, sitting Jackson. here in my truck waiting for my father-in-law to bring the clothes from a cleaner. And a tow truck came up behind me and just put a boot in there with me sitting in my truck. Okay. Is the tow truck still there? Yes, ma'am. As a matter of fact, they're doing the same thing to somebody else. I'm, I'm sitting in my truck with the motor running. I, I stopped here for my father-in-law to go get my stuff out the cleaner, and they're putting the boot on my truck. Do they say why they put a boot on your truck? They say it's on private property. But this is a, a parking lot behind the store because I normally eat at the little restaurant behind me. And I'm, I'm sitting in my truck with the pizza running, and they didn't come and say, well, can you move? They just pull up behind me. Owner operator Keller's booting predicament was remarkable, not only because he happened to be sitting in the truck while it was happening, but because issues in Gastonia had reared their heads before for him, as well as others covered in overdrive in the past, and followed developments out west that saw the state of Colorado expressly prohibit the booting of occupied vehicles in the state, period. Keller narrated his experience that memorable day in the spring, including the police's assistance with the boot and tow operator, ultimately. It turns out, when it comes to city ordinances around booting and towing, the devil's in the details, and sometimes those details are on your side. Well, I, I overheard a conversation after the police said, the police convinced him to release my truck and the police, the, okay, the four patrolmen showed up. He wasn't accepting what they said. A sergeant showed up. He just flat out said he didn't want, told the sergeant he didn't want to talk to him to get a captain out there. And it was when the captain came out, it's like, okay, this is how it's going to go. You're going to unhook the truck or you're going to jail. And he's still going to get unhooked. That's what it finally took to, to actually get the thing off of my truck. Wow. Uh, they, had to, they had to threaten to take him to jail. Yeah. What would the, what would the charge be there? That's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty bold on, what? on the part of the officer, right? Well, he would have been in violation of the the actual ordinance, the ordinance that said yeah. that he should have that he had to be contacted by the owner and right. he had to contact the police department. So, as a matter of fact, um, I had spoken with the police the um, the week after, and he wanted to know if he could put my name on an arrest warrant. Uh, but once they went to the district attorney with with what it was that they were doing, had had he actually taken the truck then they could have went forward with the arrest warrant and arrested him. But oh, because wow. they let because because they had to let me go then there wasn't enough. But two two days after my experience, um uh the reporter from um uh the news station there in Charlotte. Okay. I had I had sent them I had sent them the thing I had put on, on Facebook and they reached out to me because they said that that you know, it was unusual because there would never had been a truck released before. Say normally in Charlotte, whenever this happened, the police would show up and say, Hey, you're on private property. This is a civil matter. And the police would just drop it. Right. Uh, so I say in this particular case, the guy was a little on the other side of the line regarding the, the ordinance and the law governing what they could do and what they can't do. As I noted earlier, if you're a new listener and, or just missed any of these podcasts throughout the year, you can find all 10 and more in the countdown, as well as those honorable mentions from up top, and a playlist I put together in the post that houses this New Year's Eve podcast at overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. And finally, now, number one in the countdown to 2022 goes to... I first got the 
cooking bug when I was probably, I don't know, four or five. And I would be asking my dad questions about what he was cooking and how he was cooking it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Decker Truck Line leased owner-operator Thomas Remington. Speaking with me out at the Love's Truck Stop on Trinity Lane here in Nashville. Where the operator was kind enough to whip up for us uh, lunch on his Volvo's catwalk. He walked listeners through some of his history in the essentially in-cab kitchen he had in the Volvo at the time. Complete with a full complement of spices filling much of the available overhead storage around the drivers and passengers. My dad was a very thorough, he could never just make something simple and sure as hell never anything from a box. Everything had to be made homemade from scratch and uh, it couldn't be, the harder the meal was to make the better, the more enjoyed he, the more he enjoyed it. Right. Um, he, he really liked making, uh, specialized equipment for the cooking purposes uh several different projects he had the machine shop make just for his grill and stuff right but as far as cooking is concerned yeah that's about when it started and then on the weekends at home watching public tv and just always my favorite question why and then as i got older and got out on my own that's when i started learning how to practically cook Right. You know, uh, what to season with, not to season with, what goes with what. I mean, right. and just in the last 10 years, I've started to be able to perfect it and be able to uh, start. I've been starting, just recently started doing uh, some ethnic cooking and some crossover, okay. like Asian to Latin or American to Caribbean or. Anything like that. Blending, blending different styles and flavors, yeah. Um, and then, in, you know, when it comes to trucking, it's like, yeah, like the, that practicality element comes in in a big way, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially if you're not able to get to a truck stop, what are you going to eat? Right. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone in the world has to cook on their truck, but, I mean, I said this in another interview I had, at the very least, get some pre-cooked ingredients made at home you get some you know like that ready pasta and stuff like that can of tomato juice or sauce or whatever and there you've got a, a thing of really quick goulash that you just made your microwave right I mean it's it can be that simple right or as complicated as you want yeah not everybody's gonna um, have a uh, a full kitchen's worth of a spice rack in their uh, <laughs> in their in their storage <laughs> The compartment above their head <laughs> while they're rolling down the road. No, I, I've kind of, I kind of dubbed this the old 20-ton food truck. Do you know how much that stuff weighs? This is my is a question. I, was um, I would say, as far as just food stuff, I would say I only have all together maybe 200 pounds. Okay, it's not, it's not a huge amount. But no, it just, it just takes up a lot of space in the, yep. in the truck cab. Yeah. But being able to have flexibility and make things into different things and yeah. I, I mean I'm, I, I started off with just a, a single gas burner stove right. from Petro and a little skillet and in fact I think I still yeah I still had the picture of the very first meal I cooked in, in my old Peterbilt oh wow okay it was some sirloin steaks and uh, I said well boy some potatoes would have been really nice with this but I couldn't cook it at the same time so and then with the gas stove, 
the little gas, the little butane stove, you know, you got to have the windows open. Well, that didn't work out very well in the wintertime. So then I got a, a little electric burner, and that helped, you know, everything else, but it was slow. Then I started looking into air fryers. Remington's since made a shift in his operation from a newer model Volvo he was running to an old-school 1980s Pete he purchased from the original owner in his retirement. Keep an eye out in the new year for more on how he's setting that rig up for cooking on the road. Remington's also the author of a few recipes we've shared at OverdriveOnline.com. Search Thomas Remington at the site for some ideas there from him in the new year for recipes for the road. Thanks for listening all this year, operators, and here's a safe and profitable trucking wish to you for 2022. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with additional support from Overdrive Extra contributing writer Paul Marhofer, Overdrive News Editor Matt Cole, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, and Executive Editor Alex Lockie. Happy New Year, everybody.